The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. I want to welcome everybody, everyone in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, for your word, again, we hear it today, and we give you thanks. Give us ears to hear hearts to follow, and God give me the gift of preaching. And on this Palm Sunday, may we welcome you and prepare our hearts this week to welcome you, your suffering, your death, and your resurrection as we anticipate Easter next Sunday. For your word, Jesus Christ, for his life suffering, his death, and resurrection. We give you thanks. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, we all remember learning a dirty word. And it may happen, have happened in some instances like this, is that you didn't know it was a dirty word when you were a kid, and then you said it at the dinner table. And your parents' response was, and you figured out really quick that was a dirty word. Or you heard it at school and you knew it was a dirty word. And you said it at the dinner table anyway. And then you knew how bad it was with your parents' response, the scowl on their face. And you knew never to say that word again. I remember, I remember being at church just after I graduated from college. And at this particular church, uh, I had many good friends that were around my age. And one day I was talking with a, with a good friend. And we were talking, and at some point, I, I said the word, shoot. Right? I was like, oh, shoot. And at that very moment, one of the ladies, sweet, dear sister, walked by at that very moment when I said, oh, shoot, and she stopped, and she goes, what'd you say? I go, what do you mean, what did I say? Did you just say that word, shoot? Y yeah, I, I think I did. That's sissy cussing. That's what that is. I was like, excuse me? You can't. You might as well say the real thing because that's just sissy cussing. You can't be saying that that word. Being quite amazed and thinking it was funny, like the rest of you. So word got around to my friends and I, and we thought, "Oh, this is going to be fun." So we made a uh, a habit of finding this weird, this this dear sweet sister every Sunday. And walking past her, and darn it, and then walking off, shoot. Until, and she would usually turn around and point her finger. Until one day, she, she approached me. She says, if you keep saying words like darn, and shoot, and dang it, and geez, God just might send you to heck.
I learned my lesson. I learned that those were dirty words. In our text today, we have a word. It's a dirty word. At least in, in our culture, it's a dirty word. Paul begins in verse 21, submit to one another. Submit, I think, is a dirty word. I mean, if you think about it, none of us really like to submit. I teach for a living. And if you teach, you know submission is, is part of that learning process, but students often don't want to submit. In fact, but even I think in our own teaching, in the way, I, way we teach, we encourage them not to submit. In other words, have you ever heard this phrase? Don't take my word for it. Think for yourself. In other words, my teaching is, is styled to say, don't submit to me. You think for yourself. Well, that's not a bad thing. Somehow reinforces some of that. I've been at a soccer tournament all weekend. Drove back last night. In fact, going back this afternoon, my son's playing in a soccer tournament. And it's amazing when you get thousands and thousands of people, not just players, but parents, and how they respond to referees. The referee is the authority on the pitch or on the field or on the court. But don't we love yelling at referees? So much so we might even be yelling at the TV as if the referee can actually hear us when we're shouting at the TV when there's a wrong call at a Thunder game. Or it shows up this way. Don't tell me what I could buy. Don't tell me how to shop. So how that shows up in our life is that I go to Walmart and I walk down the cereal aisle and in an effort to not tell me what to buy, there's 800 different options for cereal. Just to make sure, I'm, I don't have to submit. So much so when I moved back from Uganda where there wasn't those options, I was paralyzed. Looking up at all of these options. Please, somebody tell me which cereal to buy. But as Americans, this idea of submission, it's a difficult thing for us. In fact, it's in our DNA not to submit. Think about how America started. We were a colony of England. Not a very good one, by the way. In fact, what it means to be an American is to look at England and kind of, you know, thumb your nose at them and say, we're not going to submit. Throw the T into the the harbor and say, we're not going to submit. I mean, at the core of who we are is this idea about freedom. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and all those things are very good, but here's what they turn into. Hey, you don't tell me what to say. You don't tell me what to believe. You don't tell me who I can meet with or talk to or assemble. And we have these strong sense of rights. In a sense, I'm glad I have rights. But we have all kinds of rights, like the right to own property. 
the right to bear arms. Don't tell me I can't own a gun. And I'm not saying that freedom and rights are a bad thing. I'm just saying within our DNA, it makes submission a little bit more difficult. In fact, the whole premise of, of our society is that it only works when everybody has rights. Because we can't get along without them. And say, so hey, don't tell me. These are my rights. In fact, what we've learned over time is that submission, that's a dirty word, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But in Paul's day, in the first century, in first century culture, Submission wasn't a dirty word. In fact, it wasn't a dirty word at all. It was a primary social value. In fact, the way they saw the world was this natural order of hierarchy. So there was this, you could see the world and there was this hierarchy in the world. And there were some who were fit to rule and there were some, excuse me, who were fit to be Servants, right? So in the world, basically in the world of Paul, he looks around and he says, hey, this is how, this is how the world works. And, and, and he recognizes the same thing that everybody else recognizes, that you have husbands, you have wives, children, you have slaves. And the order works like this is that you always submit to the one higher than you. You don't submit down. It doesn't work that way. So wives, you're to submit to husbands. Right? Children, to submit to the father, the parents. And slaves are supposed to submit to the master, of which is the father. And Aristotle taught, Aristotle even reckoned, he taught that the household was the paradigm for political order. And it was believed that the world would fall apart without this kind of natural order. Without this kind of hierarchy, there would be chaos. It wouldn't work. It would ruin not only, not only our relationships, but the whole, how the whole world functions. So when Paul, when Paul speaks in chapter 5 and on into chapter 6, he actually just addresses this, what's called the household code that everybody's going to be familiar with. He's going to address how this world works. And he says this. And here's what they hear. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For as the husband who is head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And I think they hear that and they're like, yep, sounds about right. Makes sense. And then you go down a little bit further. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
And they go, yep, sounds about right. And all the parents in the room said, amen. Thank you. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you when you enter uh, and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. And then down in chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And they look at that and they go, yep. Sounds right. Paul, amen to that. But then Paul actually does something here. He takes this household code and he turns it a little bit. In fact, it's like, remember those, uh, I was going to put it up on the screen today, but it doesn't work because not everybody can see it and I don't even know if it works. But remember the magic, remember the magic eye pictures a few years ago, several years ago. Remember it was like this kind of all these different colors and it looked like just, it looked like nothing, right? It's just like wiggly lines or shapes. And then if you stared at it long enough and let your eyes cross, right? All of a sudden, this 3D image appeared. Do you guys remember that? He takes that picture that everybody's familiar with, and then he does this 3D image that comes out. Because in verse 25, he says this. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, gave, her, gave himself up for her. And I think that's when Paul's reader says, do what? Give myself up for her? Paul, you understand, that's not how things work. That's not who we are. In fact, Paul, that kind of sounds like a dirty word to me. That sounds like sissy cussing. And Paul goes on in 5.28. He says, in the same way, husbands, they ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And I, I, I think probably culture would have heard it this way, at least the men. Love her as I love my own body. Treat her the way I would treat myself or that I would treat maybe another man? That doesn't sound like sissy cussing. That actually sounds like a dirty word, Paul. Because you don't understand how the world works. Then he goes on in chapter 6, verse 5. It says, slaves... Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you obeyed Christ. Then if you skip to verse 9, it says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And then masters, treat your slaves the same way. Okay, Paul, 
here's what I think they're thinking. Okay, Paul, this is no longer sissy cussing. This is no longer real cussing. You've said the mother of all curse words. And it's in the Bible. But Paul takes this household code. He didn't try to blow it up. He actually doesn't say, you're no longer husband and wife and children, right, and slaves. But he takes it, and because of what Jesus Christ has done, he takes it, and he transforms those relationships. And so wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That it's no longer submission just because of the natural order. It's because this is, this is because of what God has done. Submit yourself. And then husbands, he says, turn around, and this is the real key, right? Husbands, he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as he loves himself. And children, obey your parents. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command, with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't wear them out. Instead, bring them up, training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win favor, their favor when their eyes on you, but like slaves of Christ, do the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's free or slave. And masters, treat your slaves the same way. Do not threaten them. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. For Paul, Christ takes their relationships and transforms them. But this text is not just a, it is about the household code. It is about wives and husbands and children and fathers and slaves, and masters, but it's not just about that. For when you get to chapter 5 and verse 25, husbands love your wives. He said, just as Christ loved the church. Then he goes on 
and says, In the same way, husbands, you ought to love your wives as, as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, After all, no one ever hated his own body. But he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And then he, then he quotes this text that we know so well. This text that we often read at weddings. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother. And be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. And we go and we start thinking of marriage. And the relationship that he's talking about. Husband and wife. But in fact Paul he says. This is a profound mystery. But here I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, men, husbands, love your wives. This is about husbands and wives and children and fathers and slaves and masters. But it's more than that. This is about the church. For this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church, he says. And when Jesus shows up in the world and what God is doing through Jesus Christ, he transforms our relationships. Christ redefines our relationships in this way, through mutual submission. This is the ethic that Christ is calling. Christ redefines our relationships into mutual submission. And when we submit to one another, out of reverence for Christ. In fact, this ethic of mutual submission is how Jew and Gentile come together in unity to form one new humanity. And this is what God is doing. And this ethic of mutual submission is how the church makes known the manifold wisdom of God to the powers and principalities in the heavenly realms, as we've talked about in Ephesians. It's how the church is the church. And this ethic of mutual submission is because Christ, because of Christ and what he's done, that this word is no longer a dirty word for Paul's audience or for us. But evidence of a transformed life. Mutual submission. Let me say that again. Because of what Christ has done, mutual submission is no longer a dirty word. But it's evidence of a transformed life. Is a beautiful picture of the power of the gospel in the lives of his people. Ernie Johnson Jr. is a famous TV broadcaster. You may, I put his picture up here because you may have heard his name, but think, where have I heard that name? But if you, you may not have seen him on TV, you may have recognized his picture. But if you watch uh, much sports, especially on TNT, he is their primary broadcaster for their events. In fact, he hosts a very 
popular television show uh, on TNT about the NBA. So if you watch the NBA, you're going to see him and Charles Barkley and Kennedy Jet Smith and Shaq. And they do all their antics. And he's a very, very talented, talented broadcaster. But I saw a special on Ernie Johnson. And while he's incredibly talented, he talks this way about his life. He says about 25 years ago, he got the break of his life in television. And Turner Broadcast invited him to become the main anchor for all of their sports broadcasting. And of course, he said yes. And he says, I was at the top of the world. I was on TV every night. All my plans were working out. I had a beautiful wife. I had two kids. Life was going great. I had the best job. Lots of power, lots of success, lots of money. And he says, until right about that time, right before I got, right around the time I got to, to be the broadcaster for TNT. And he's been hosting the show for 25 years now. And it's still rated at the very top TV broadcasting. But he says, right about the time I got this, my wife saw a news broadcast on one of the an extended broadcast on one of the major news networks. And it was the time that, uh, that Romania was opening up. And they did this broadcast to where they talked about, they discovered as Romania was opening up, the, the government was falling and Romania was opening up, that they found there was like 14,000 children under the care of the government. Orphans. Many of them with severe learning, mental and physical disabilities. And he says, his wife, is, actually she says in the interview that she just couldn't help but cry when she saw that and she thought, we have to do something. And Ernie, his life was going perfect. He was on top of the world. He had a great wife, lots of power and success, the job that he wanted, fame, popularity, riches, two kids, they were done. They were done. And he said his wife came to him and said, we have to do something about this. Man, I don't know. I mean, how's, I don't know how this is going to work. And I just started TNT. I don't know. She said, no, I think we need to do something. So Ernie said, okay. He submitted. Let's talk about this. And they got talking so much that they decided, okay, we're going to look into adopting one of these kids. So she flew over by himself because he had responsibilities at TNT. She flew over to Romania. But part of their requirements were they were going to get a kid that, that didn't have special needs, that didn't have uh, learning disabilities, at least they knew of, or uh, physical uh, disabilities or mental disabilities. Some of you know this feeling. But she got there, and she saw this one boy. She knew. 
she knew that was the child. Only problem was that learning disabilities couldn't speak. He for sure had physical disabilities, couldn't walk. She made the call home in tears. She says, I think I found our son. She's like, great. It's like, but there's one thing. He doesn't meet our qualifications for what we talked about. That's an S of best amen right there. And Ernie thought, I don't know. And he talked about struggling with it. This is not the way I planned it. This is not the way I wanted to go. You understand my life. I've got a big TV deal. I've already got the family that I want. But over the phone, he says, he submitted. And he says, honey, if that's who God's calling you to, that's who he's calling me to. And as I watched this television show, his son is now 26 years old. They adopted him when he was very young. He does the broadcast in the evening. And it's still a top show, like I told you. It's still one of the top shows. And then the hidden life that you don't know is that he wakes up in the morning, every morning, spending most of his mornings feeding, bathing, wiping, tending to his son, who's on a ventilator, can't breathe on his own, can't walk, move, pick him up, carry him to where he needs to go. And all, they interview all the people that work with him. And they, all the people who work with him, Charles Barkley and all these guys, they talk about how great a broadcaster he is and how professional he is and how wonderful he's to work with. And then they say, but, you know what's really, you know what really makes Ernie Johnson Jr. great? That he gets up after spending long nights doing the show on NBA and talking about superstars. He goes home. He sleeps and then he gets up and he bathes. And he feeds. And he wipes his 26-year-old son who lays in bed. That's a picture of submission. And if the gospel has the power to transform household codes, then surely the gospel has the power to transform our, our relationships in the 21st century, in our homes and in our church. Submission may be a dirty word, but it is the mystery of, that God is working in us to transform the world. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ as we stand. Thank you.